right, welcome everybody. We're in Judges chapter 16. Lord willing, we're going to finish our story with Samson this evening. And we're going to see all these things come to pass. We talked about ego, and we talked about drive, and we talked about passion, and we talked about how Samson was a person that had no problems confronting things, no problems declaring what he wanted, no problems getting what he wanted. A very type A, high D, go-getting person. And we're going to see some of that again today. We talked about some of the carnage and the destruction that he caused following those passions. And we're going to see a lot more of that again this evening. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. And then we're going to be in Judges chapter 16. Where is Judges? Somewhere here in the Old Testament. Someone took my bookmark out. Probably me. Still after Joshua? There it is. Oh, my bookmark's still there. What do you know? I'm tired. What do you want? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for who you are. We thank you how you use people like Samson to teach us so much. Even though we might consider them failures, Lord, you see things differently than we do with a different perspective. And so we pray that you would share that perspective with us this, mo- this evening. Excuse me, in Jesus' name. Amen. Aha, I caught it. I almost said it. Well, in verses 1 through 9, we'll continue our study. It says, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and the two gateposts pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, yet not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound with them, bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. And so we have two situations here with two different ladies. Now these are not the same ladies that he has had previously. Remember, he's already been married. And she was given to another husband because he disappeared. We're not sure quite why, whether it was just manipulation on the father-in-law's part, whether he abandoned her. Uh, Remember, we also don't know if they loved each other, if they didn't, if it was convenience or politics or passion. We, We really don't know. But previously, she was burned by fire by her own people because they were so angry at Samson destroying their economy because he was so upset. Now, 
Samson, who is in obvious sin, goes into a prostitute. So he's at her house. They're uh, conducting that business together. And the people of Gaza, they know he's there. So people are tracing him. They're following him. They're seeing what he's doing. And they want to stop him. And so it says that they lay in ambush waiting for him to leave until it's daylight. And then they jump on him. They try and trap him in the town. They lock the gates to the city. There's no way out. We got him. It's either you or me, which is kind of crazy in and of itself. I mean, think about these people attacking Samson. He's killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Yes, let's lock him in here and see what happens. But that's how upset they are with him. They're willing to risk it. And that's what they do. But Samson's having none of it. And what does it say he does? He goes to the city gates. He doesn't kick the door down. That's amateur. He doesn't break the lock. Come on, that's B class. He picks up the entire gates. I love what it says there in the scripture, bar and all, just so we know exactly what we're talking about. Make sure we get those details in there. He doesn't just break it and throw it to the side either, does he? He puts it on his back and he walks off with it. Imagine being those guys in ambush. Like all night long, they're waiting there. If you're a hunter or if you've gone fishing or if you've had to wait a long time for something and there's that anticipation and that itch and then every, you're starting to see things with your imagination. Is that him? Nope, that's not him. Oh, that's got to be him. Nope. And just waiting hour after hour. And you're contemplating now because imagine you hunters and fishermen and, and people that have been in the moments of suspense. The person you're trying to trap is going to kill you back. Imagine the fear and the anxiety. And then there he comes. Sure enough, we got him now. Let's wait him to see what he does with the gates here. What did he just do? Excuse me? Like, are they stunned to silence? Do they try and chase him down? I'm thinking if I'm going to attack someone, when, a back, when their back is full with the weight of a city gate, might be a good time to try and get him. Don't let him drop that thing. But no, he gets out of there again. Fast forward, he falls in love, or he finds, it says here, he loved a woman, so here it's more specific, in the Valley of Sorek. And if you know the, the name of Samson, you probably know the name of Delilah. So Delilah, that's his lady. He's with her, and they have an awesome, loving relationship, don't they? Now, you're reading this, you're like, what kind of relationship is this? First of all, the Philistines come to Delilah, and it doesn't say that Delilah loves Samson back, does it? No, the scripture says that Samson loves her. Because the second the Philistines come, what do they say? Hey, help us kill your, your boo here. Help us kill your man. Oh, by the way, if you help us kill him, we'll each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. What does she say? I'm in. She's going she's gonna to go along with this plan. So they're at the house. They're in the room together. And Delilah starts working on Samson, just nagging this man to death. Now, if any man on the face of the planet deserved to be nagged to death, it's probably Samson. But that's what happens. Why won't you tell me how to kill you? Well, she doesn't word it like that, does she? Please tell me where your strength lies. Tell me where your strength lies. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But nobody knows where his strength comes from. And she keeps begging him. But then what does Samson do? He lies back to her. 
Like, this is a real healthy relationship, isn't it? Oh, yeah, seven fresh bowstrings. So the lying is going back and forth here. This is not a healthy relationship. This is a terrible relationship. It's based off of everything false. No mention of God here. No thinking of families. This isn't about how to do things honorably or above reproach or with truth. It's not about integrity. It's not about encouraging and lifting each other up. They're just using each other, and they're just abusive back to each other verbally. And so Samson plays game with her. And in verse 8, it says, The lords of the Philistines, they brought up the bowstrings. Now, what is really weird to me is verse 9. Look at it. Now, men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, like they're hiding in the closet and under the bed. Like they're waiting till he's tied up. That's how, that's how bad this situation is. Not only does Delilah lie to Samson and he lies back, but then... He's going to sneak the perpetrators in, the murderers, into the room, and they're going to be super quiet while he's trying to get, she's trying to get him to fall asleep. She's trying to get him bound up and tie him up. And so then she yells out, the Philistines are upon you, and they break the bowstrings. Now, before we go to the next section, I, I want to point out a couple of things. Where is Samson's strength come from? It comes from the Lord, from God, and nobody knows. Everyone's looking at him like, well, where's his strength come from? Nobody's guessing God's involved with this. Nobody looks at Samson's life and says, his life is going to be so different that people are going to come to faith because of how good of a person he is. But I want to remind you through all this, because this is a sad chapter, that Samson is listed in the hall of faith. Not that he was good, not that he did good things, not that he was lover of God, no. But he had faith in God, and God used him. Now, God uses Samson in spite of Samson, but nevertheless, it is God that gives him this power. Now, Samson has broken his Nazarite vow. He's touched dead animals. He's, had, he's been around the fruit of the vine. He has been in compromise. He's living in obvious sin. He is openly sleeping around. He is openly murdering Philistines. He is openly aggressive. He is openly doing everything wrong. And yet God is still using him to destroy the Philistines. Now we're going to come back to that later. But I couldn't help when I was studying about this, but to think about Samson's mom. You remember a couple chapters ago when the Lord met with Samson's mom? said, I'm going to use this guy to start a work against the Philistines. And there was that prophecy there. What a wasted potential, right? But why is it all this wasted potential? See, Samson is all of us without the Holy Spirit resisting us. Our pride, our fleshly desires, our need for vengeance, our lust, our aggressiveness, all those things are inside of us, and they're not yielded to the Holy Spirit here. There's no conflict, like Paul would say, wrestling of the flesh and the spirit. For Samson, it is the tiniest ember his faith. No one's going to look at him and say, wow, God's really using that guy. They're going to say, man, Samson can get away with anything. But we'll see how that ends here in a little bit. So let's continue now in verses 10 through 20. At the love shack, Samson and Delilah, 10 keys to marriage here. Then Delilah said to Samson, look, 
You have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke away from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart. And he said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent a call. She sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave the seven locks off his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed him. So I hope that you're asking me the same question that I asked myself. Because in verse 10, after she took the words that he said and tied him up with bowstrings, and then Philistines jumped out of the closet and out from under the bed to try and take him, and he whooped them, which if that is anything we know about Samson, they gone, they're dead. She doesn't say, oh, you caught me. I really hate you and I hope that you die. No, what does she say in verse 10? Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Listen, murderers came out of the closet and did exactly what Samson told her to do to have him murdered, and it's his fault. Now, all of us have been around ladies like this at some point in your life. Guys, if you've got one like this one and you're not married, get out of there. Get, this is crazy talk. Not everything in the planet is your fault. Most of it is, but not everything. And some people are just toxic. Notice, Samson loves her. He loves her. That's never been said in any of the other chapters here. And he just keeps going back for more and more and more. I just think that is crazy. At least that's what I'm thinking as I'm reading this. And then it doesn't just happen one time. It happens two more times. And each time, Samson's telling her, But what is Samson doing? He's getting closer and closer and closer to the truth. Oh, yes, you can put it in a loom. You can weave my hair. Now you're you're talking. Now, 
Is Samson's power found in his hair? That's how it seems to be written, but we know it is not. It's not the skin layers that make up our hair, the follicles, that got him any kind of strength. It was the very last ember of his faith. I am a Nazarite. I have kept a vow from my youth. No, you haven't kept a vow from your youth, except for this very, very last thing, this last thing that God has decided, this is where the line is, and I'm not going to help you anymore here. Samson has been playing a game his whole life, and we've been talking about this for the last few sermons about Samson. Outwardly, he doesn't care. He's not talking about God. He's not seeking after God's heart. He's not looking for forgiveness. He just wants to live his life to the fullest and just not be taken advantage of. He's just going to push and bully his way through life. And everything that he had about his personal faith was outward, and the very last thing was the vow. Some of you, you may be backsliding yourself. And maybe the last thing is you come to church on Wednesday or you come to church on Sunday. You stop praying. You stop seeking after God. You stop being sanctified. You stop growing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're just on life support. And you're slowly but surely drifting. I can tell you I am not a prophet, but statistically speaking, I have seen people come to the church on fire, and then I've seen them slowly fade away I've seen people that have slowly faded away, rededicate their lives to the Lord, and have these great mountaintop experiences, go through some peaks and valleys, and I've seen them come back. And when we get real religious, we start to judge people. And we thought, oh, God, they, they must, God must not be blessing them, or they're not seeking after God. Or we might say, oh, that person's really, they're amazing, look how great they are. But I want you to see this section of Scripture not as Samson or Delilah, not as uh, even a, a learner. I want you to see this portion of Scripture as God sees it. You see, God sees all of time, all the time. And so He sees Samson in his youth. He sees what he goes through in his strength and his disobedience. And He also sees his end. And He also sees Samson in the kingdom through the grace of Jesus Christ in his time period, the future Messiah in our time period, the present Messiah. Because he has crossed the line here and his head is shaved and the power of God has left him. And even then, God has not forsaken him. When would you have forsaken Samson if you were God? When he left his first wife? When he took the honey out of the mouth of the lion? When he slept with the harlot, when he told the lies, when he went with Delilah, when he forsook his family, like where would you have drawn the line and say, that's it, man, you've just gone too far? You see, this, the line that the Lord draws, I say, is far more gracious than you think. And I love what Pastor Chuck always said. You hear me say it all the time. There's still time from the saddle to the ground. The illustration is of a cowboy. He falls off his horse. He's going to break his neck. He has time until he closes his eyes for the last time to repent and accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works, lest any man should boast. And Samson here, man, he's crossed the line. The Spirit of God is gone, but the Lord still will not forsake him. 
God is far more gracious to us than we can imagine. We put the lines in places that the Lord does not. And then that final bit of practical application, if you are in a relationship as toxic as this, you either need to get counseling, separate, or go somewhere else because this is not right. All right, well, let's, let's see now, verses 21 through 25. Samson, he's been lulled to sleep. His hair is gone. The Philistines have taken him, and they got him. Let's see what happens, verses 21 through 25. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer, together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their god, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. I think of another guy that had fallen Uh, King David, and the Lord spoke to King David, and he said, you have given your enemies reason to blaspheme my name. And that's what Samson has done. He has given the enemies of God reason to blaspheme God. Remember last chapter? How arrogant and prideful and victorious and charismatic and amazing Samson was. And here he is. He shaved His eyes are put out. He's lost his strength. He's imprisoned and in shackles. He's being mocked and laughed at. Earlier in this chapter, no man on earth could stop him. City gates that would keep armies out for months at a time through sieges. He just threw on his back and he walked out. Let me speak to the young men specifically that are growing into themselves They're getting stronger. They're getting a little bit more arrogant. They're getting a little pushier. It's only a matter of time before you're humbled. It's only a matter of time before you're broken. And it's only a matter of time before you realize that all your wisdom and your strength and your charisma and all your arrogance is fleeting. It will disappear. And you'll just be another middle-aged person in here with a broken back like the rest of us. Maybe you'll be retired. They were all young, strong, strapping young lads too. But then, ladies, it's the same thing for you. Maybe there are some of you here, you know, you remember the 10 out of 10 ladies that you were comparing yourself to all the time, and they had impossible standards, and they were so amazing. And then a couple years went by, a couple high school reunions, And you see that person again, you go, ooh, what happened? Life was rough. Because the Bible tells us that all flesh is like grass. It is fleeting. It is here today. It is gone tomorrow. And you see what is true with a capital T, truth. Those things that last from generation to generation, those things that last throughout a lifetime, 
Those things in your life that you will think of on the moment you pass, those are the things that really matter. I said earlier that God sees all of time, all the time. And so he'll see somebody like Samson who has the city gates on their back, and then he'll also see them with their eyes put out and humbled. He sees you and where you're at now, and he sees where you can be, where you're going to be, where you were. And he also sees you sitting with him in the kingdom. Now, this begs the question, why does God pick losers? Yeah, we, we figured, you know, why God would pick Samson a couple chapters ago, but why this guy now? I mean, why have this guy on his team, his Hall of Faith roster? Lord, this is the guy you pick? I don't know if you know this or not, but God wrote this book. Everything in there, he decided he wanted it in there. And he says, I want to share this story. And then he says, I'm going to put this guy in my top ten. I'm going to put this guy on my starting lineup. Why doesn't God just pick winners? Well, we know because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one good, not, no, not one. We are redeemed by Him. It is His work in us that changes us and molds us. The Lord doesn't see people the way that we see people. We make standards. We judge them by those standards. This person's good. This person's bad. The Lord doesn't see reputations. He sees souls. He sees all of us all the time. He sees who we were, who we are, and who we will be at the same time. He knows the beginning from the end, all of our thoughts. And He cares for us. Remember, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. He loved Samson. Samson's a disobedient jerk. And he's getting what he deserves. He is reaping what he sows. But has God forsaken him? What did they slip here in the text? But his hair began to grow back. What does that mean? Who cares? I already told you that his hair is not where his strength is. But it's a sign. It starts back again. Maybe you're in that point where everything has fallen apart today. Maybe you're watching it online. Maybe you're here in the sanctuary, you're at the bottom, you messed up, things are really bad. How can he use me? How can God uh, see me and use me and change me? After all the things I did and all the things I said and all the things I let him down on, I want you to be encouraged. The hair just begins to grow back. It's just a little bit at a time. You just make one foot in front of the other, one step at a time. You know that you walk in God's love and His grace and His mercy because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not your own. And yeah, you probably messed up. But He will never leave you nor forsake you. He sees people. He sees the soul. And I love how they sneak that in there. His hair began to grow back. What is Samson thinking between those two pillars now? He's blind but I think now he can see better than he could ever see before. Because he realizes, I'm assuming, now I'm, I'm reading into the text here, it's dangerous, right? I've taught you all well. But I'm assuming he now knows his weaknesses. He's been beaten. It's gone. The glory days are over. It has come to the end. It's never going to be like it was. He's got nothing left but his memories. 
and his prayers. And now let's see what happens with those memories and prayers as they come together in verses 26 through 31. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtiel in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. Tragic. I mean, this is as tragic as it gets. So he's there, he's weak, he has no strength, his eyes are gone, he's between those pillars. He has to ask the little boy that they have guard him, take his hand and put his hand to the pillar. Why is the little boy there? That is a joke being played on him. That the man who could defeat all the strongest soldiers of the Philistines is now being guarded by a boy. And so he asks him, the young lad it says here, take my hand and put it on the pillar please, and the boy does it. And he sits there, and he cries out to God. I, we don't see that anywhere, do we? It's not here until the very end when he has no sight that he can finally see. And he just says, Lord, I want to serve you with these last moments. How can I honor you and worship you? No, that's not what he says. He says, let me kill these guys. They took my eyeballs. That's what he says. Because Samson is still Samson, but he's still crying out to God because he's got nowhere else to go. I have prayed with so many people that have never prayed, but they come to the end of themselves and they have nowhere else to go. And they say, well, I might as well pray now. And there is nothing wrong with that. I do not mock that in the slightest. But it begs us to wonder how much could Samson have accomplished if he had prayed from the start? If he had used all the strength that God had given him and he had just seeked after God and incorporated God into his life and allowed God to take all that power and that anger and all that strength, physical, spiritual, emotional, that desire to just please himself and use it to bless others. What would the nation of Israel have been like? We have no idea. Well, you know where I'm going this. What about you? What about you and where you're at now? If you took all those desires and you took all that there is in your flesh and you just dedicated it to the Lord and allowed the Spirit to move in you, to encourage others, to bless others, to pray for others, to be there in their times of need, to honor God with your life, what would it be like? It really sucks when you're with somebody in their weakest moment at the very end of their life and there's nothing left but regret. And you just you pray with them and you listen to them and you share with them. And then they realize how much was wasted. 
See, Samson's life makes for an amazing, action-packed story. But it's a waste. And now finally, does the Lord condone suicide? No. Absolutely not in the strictest terms. If you commit suicide, is it the cardinal sin that you will be damned to hell for all of eternity for? No. That is a man-made law. That is not in the Scripture at all. What does the Bible say about it, though? It does not condemn. You're murdering yourself. Thou shall not murder. No murder. You do not kill yourself. But there are times that there are people that are overcome by the enemy or they're overcome uh, by spiritual forces or they're intoxicated or they're inebriated or there's a psychological break and they will harm themselves. And many times they'll harm themselves to their end. And that comes down to what is the definition of suicide? What if it's an accident? Is that suicide? What if it's on purpose? What happens if you go to your doctor and he tells you, you smoke those cigarettes, you're going to die of lung cancer, and you just keep doing it anyway? Is there a time limit on suicide? Is it only suicide if it's five minutes? But what if it's 15 years? What if it's 50 years? But you know the whole time. Again, we, we make these measurements that are not from the Lord, and then we judge people by them. Never is this proclaimed as what should be done by the Lord. This is descriptive. It is not proscriptive. He is simply, the Lord is just simply saying, this is what happened. And when Samson gave his life in attacking the Philistines, there was a chance he could have lived, but he didn't. And he killed more in that one night than he did his entire life. And so, militarily speaking, he was victorious. But it cost him. I find that fascinating. Now, that's a discussion for another evening to continue down that road. But no, not all people that have committed the, the sin of suicide are condemned. So what does condemn you? There's only one thing that condemns you, and that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit condemns every person on this planet. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the only sin that cannot be forgiven is not accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you reject Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, He is the only way to salvation, and that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, what if I recanted Jesus and I became a believer, but then afterwards I backslid and I said I didn't believe anymore and I became an atheist? Oh, man, I've committed the, sin, the, I've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I, I can't be saved. That's not accurate. You cannot commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and then accept Jesus Christ again and repent. If you commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you can't repent. Like, there's no repentance possible. Well, how, how many times is too many times? If you're even contemplating it, then you haven't committed it. And I would personally say the only time you can commit the unforgivable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, is in your last moment, your last opportunity of your life you deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the ultimate last ditch. This is the line. There's no salvation for you after that. You, you realize that how gracious God is? 
It doesn't matter how bad of a human being you are. Go find the, the worst, evilest person on the planet, and to their dying breath, they can enter into everlasting life if they simply tr- believe in their heart and confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus. And that's what Samson's all about. We see from Samson that God is far more gracious than we think. That doesn't mean you don't reap what you sow. It doesn't mean that life's going to be hunky-dory for being terrible. But God does truly love us and want the best. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Incredible. Samson's life. Because it's dark. It's the worst of us. And it's the best of God in terms of his grace. Well, we're going to close out the rest of this evening in prayer. And then we're going to have some new judges next week in chapter 17 as we're closing out and moving into the end of the book of Judges. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for helping us with those deep, dark, tough topics, Lord. And we do pray for anyone here that may have had or have suicidal thoughts, Lord, and that they would live their life more abundantly in you. And we pray that you would help them, help them get help, Lord, help them have prayer partners, help them work with doctors if it's something that is uh, medical, physical, Lord, uh, if it's spiritual, we know greater, nothing is greater than you that is in us, Lord. And so we pray for your protection, and we pray for healing tonight, the moving of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would be guiding and directing us, that we would be calling out to you, Lord, knowing that our strength comes from you, not from outward appearances. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.